you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Is it really snowing out there? Is it really snowing? Wow. Enough to make snow cream? Well, that ain't snowing then. If it ain't enough to make snow cream, it ain't snowing. It's just a waste. If it ain't enough to make snow cream, it's a waste. So what is snow cream? What, what is snow cream? Where were you born? Wisconsin, and you don't know what snow cream is? Snow cream is where you, well, you can't do the first snow, Granny said, because nuclear fallout. But the second snow is where you just go out in the yard and you just get a bunch of it and you put some sugar in it and some milk on it and you have ice cream, snow cream, and it's just wonderful. Isn't that the way you do it? Yeah. And you're from Wisconsin and y'all don't have that? You never ate the snow? Oh, man. Milk and sugar and snow and, and snow? Jesus, girl. What in the world is happening? If I had all that snow, I'd eat snow cream three meals a day. I'd have it on my Cheerios. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Notice what the Word says. We're, he's writing. You know, there's two, um, there's two questions you always asked in biblical... Um, uh, trying to understand the Bible, and they're very basic questions. And the questions are this, who's writing and who are they writing to? If you understand the con- that simple context, who's writing and who are they writing to, you've, you've taken a giant leap forward in understanding the perspective of what's been written. The Bible is probably the most misquoted book in all the world and that people will take scriptures completely out of context and use them for their individual agendas. And that's never God's plan and that gets a lot of people in trouble. Um, uh, so uh, the two questions, who's writing, who are they writing to? So this is the book of Ephesians. Who is it written by? It's written by the Apostle Paul. He, he's the one who founded the church at Ephesus. Remember over there, uh, where in Acts chapter 19, uh, he's, uh, he went over there, and, and then in another place, he found, he found 12 disciples, uh, and he started ministering to them, and out of those 12 disciples came this great church, the church at Ephesus. Some Bible scholars believe, historical scholars, believe this church at one time became the largest church uh, in the whole region, um, Christian church in the whole region. Uh, many, many believe that Timothy became the pastor of this big church. Uh, Paul's protege, Timothy, was the pastor of this big church. We do know, if, if you read the book of Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians, it's really a love letter. It's a love letter that Paul writes to these Christians. So it's easy to see if you read it that he had a real affinity toward these people. He loved these people. He had a, he had a special relationship. The Ephesians and the Galatians, he had a special relationship. You can hear his heart coming out. He teaches them how to pray. He teaches them about the, uh, the, the armor of God. He teaches them about principalities and powers and how to overcome the devil. He, uh, he, he, he reveals some things about God and the Spirit of God to the Ephesians that he doesn't reveal to the other churches in the letters he writes. So this is a, this relationship 
that's going on between Paul and the church at Ephesus is a special relationship. So Paul is writing it. Who's he writing it to? He's writing to people who have become born again and filled with the Spirit in the region of Ephesus, okay? So he's writing to Christians. And notice what he says. It's important you know he's writing to Christians. He's not writing to the world. He's not writing to lost people. He's not writing to Rome. He's not writing to people. He is writing to people who are born again. And notice what he says to them. Be kind to one another. You know, you would think that would be an understood. But how many of you understand that sometimes church people can be the rudest and meanest people you'll ever run into? Anybody ever had that situation occur? Church people live life, get smacked in the face, have difficult moments just like anybody else. So notice what he says. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. We would normally think as Christians that those things are just given. You're supposed to do that. But Paul has to spend time reminding them to do that. So on Wednesday nights, we have been studying the subject of forgiveness. And it is the one subject, forgiveness is the one subject that every person in this room should learn about. You know... Uh, if you're not married and don't want to be married, I can understand not wanting to know any more about marriage. If you're not a parent and don't want to have kids, can't stand kids, I can understand why you wouldn't want to uh, hear about parenting. Uh, if, uh, if, you, uh, are, uh, uh, if we're ministering to widows and you've never lost a spouse before or widowers, I can understand why you could get bored listening to a message uh, about widows or widowers and how God ministers to those and has a special place in his heart to those people. But this is a message, forgiveness, that it touches everybody. Every one of us need to know about the subject of forgiveness. Why? Because each of us Each of us, every one of us in this room, me, you, everybody in this room included, will have the opportunity to either exercise forgiveness or live in unforgiveness. And it almost happens just continually. You hang around enough people long enough, somebody's going to do you wrong. Somebody's going to rub you wrong. Somebody's going to misunderstand you or miscommunicate with you or take something from you or take you for granted or something of that nature. Every one of us from time to time are going to have the opportunity to either walk in forgiveness or walk in unforgiveness. Now, last week, we talked about some forgiveness myths or myths that people have about forgiveness. Myth number one is that forgiveness should be easy for every Christian. Because we're a Christian, we got Jesus in our heart, it should be easy to forgive. Fooey, 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 fooey. When people do you wrong, just because you're a Christian doesn't make it easy to forgive. Can anybody agree with that? Whether you're a Christian or not, it still hurts. When people abuse you, when they misuse you, when they falsely accuse you, 
It doesn't make any difference how much Jesus lives in your heart or how much you speak in tongues or how many Bible verses you can read or how great you can sing. If people have done you wrong, it stings. So it's a myth to think that forgiveness is easy for Christians. Myth number two is that forgiveness is optional. For a Christian, it's not optional. We have one choice, and that's to forgive. Now, you can choose the other, but that's not the right way for Christians. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6, verse number 14 and 15. This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Well, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But look at verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, what does it say? He won't forgive you. Now see, we don't even, we, we, we don't even understand that, cons, that side of God. We don't understand that side of God. The Bible says if you forgive men... God will forgive you. If you don't forgive them, He doesn't have to forgive you. He doesn't have to forgive you. You say, oh, you really believe that? Well, that's what He said. I mean, that's what He said. Can't pick and choose what, he, what you're going to believe. That's what He said. I'll share another scripture with you here in just a few moments, and we'll talk a little bit about this. It's not that He doesn't want to. It's that we put a distance between Him and us, and He's not able to. Okay, it's not that he doesn't want to, it's that he's not able to. Okay, here's, an, here's, another, here's another myth. Myth number three, forgiveness requires reconciliation. Uh, God calls us to forgive those who hurt us, but settling our differences or restoring a friendship to its original friendly condition isn't always possible. Let me repeat that. God calls us to forgive those who hurt us, but settling our differences or restoring a friendship to its original friendly condition isn't always possible. You understand, a conflict generally doesn't just involve us. If reconciliation was only um, dependent upon me, then I can be reconciled. But a conflict usually involves two parties, and I can't control how the other party's going to feel. I can't control how they're going to act. I can't control how they're going to respond. And if we have to be reconciled, if we have to be buds again for, me, for it to be considered forgiveness, sometimes that happens, and if it happens, wonderful. But sometimes the injury is so severe and the pain is so difficult and the distance needed to bring about healing for both parties is so wide that those two parties can never get back to where they were. So reconciliation is not a necessary ingredient for forgiveness. I, there, are people, uh, there have been people in my life that have falsely accused me and stolen from me. I forgive them. I don't talk about it anymore. I don't bring it up anymore, 
Very few people know about it, and if they knew about it, it was years ago they knew about it because it's, it's not a part of our life. We've forgiven them, but I don't have, I'm not buds with them, and I'm not in business with them any longer, you see. Reconciliation to the level that it once was is not possible, but forgiveness is, okay? And I hear this all the time. I hear this, uh, somebody steals from an em- employer, I've had employers come to me. What do I need to do, Pastor? This this guy stole from me. He 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 lied on his time sheet. He lied on his t- uh, time clock. He he took things from the company, and we caught him. And I fired him. Had to let him go. And then uh, now he comes back and says, "If you're a Christian, you forgive me. You'll hire me back." That's not true at all. Reconciliation sometimes is not possible, but you can still forgive. Okay, everybody with me? I, boy, y'all are excited tonight. Y'all about to shout me down. I can't believe it. Really. <laughs> myth number four. Forgiveness requires an apology. That's a myth. It's wonderful. It's really wonderful if somebody apologizes. It's really wonderful if somebody has done you wrong and they realize they've done you wrong and shows remorse for what they did. It's really great if somebody has, uh, has messed you over and, and said things or done things or abused you, and then the Spirit of God comes upon them and they break in repentance and they come back to you and and humbly repent. That's wonderful when it happens. But whether it happens or doesn't, we are required to forgive them. You see? How many times have we heard this? Well, if they'd apologize, I'd feel better about it and I could forgive them. They'd just say they're sorry. I'd feel better about it and I can forgive them. <laughs> no, we can forgive those who don't apologize because we recognize what is sufficient for us is not the correct behavior of someone else, but the grace that God gives us. Amen. See, God sent Jesus, and Jesus died for us. He paid the price for our forgiveness while we were yet sinners. He didn't pay the price once we apologized. He paid the price for us while we were yet sinners. So if you're waiting for somebody to say they're sorry, if you're waiting for somebody to make the first step and feel remorseful about what they've done to you before you feel a release to forgive them, you are waiting too long. Because we are to forgive because of what Jesus did for us, not because of what they in turn do to us. Wonder if that person dies and can never apologize to you. Are you just going to live the rest of your life holding a grudge against them because they didn't apologize? You see, forgiveness, it's a myth for people to have to apologize before we forgive them. Now, now let's just get, it, it makes you feel better if they do. It makes you feel better if they do. But that's why forgiveness is not easy. It's not easy. Because if they don't, then you still forgive them. (laughs) All right. Myth number five. Forgiveness doesn't cost anything. Ah, well, it doesn't cost anything. Fooey. It first cost you your claim for justice. You see, there there is a... a basic instinct in us. And it comes from the Old Testament. 
You've heard it this way. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Whatever somebody steals from you, that same comes back to them. That's that basic instinct that was the law. Jesus said, you've heard an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you to forgive everyone. To give everyone. He said, in fact, I'll take it a step further. If they steal your coat, give them your cloak, your overcoat also. Okay? So it does cost you something. It costs you your claim for justice. The second thing that forgiveness costs you, it costs you a part of yourself. It costs you a part of yourself. Forgiving a spouse or forgiveness means I give up my need to be right. I give up my need to be right. Well, they did me wrong. Yeah, they did you wrong. And if I forgive them, then I'm giving up my need to proclaim that I'm right. Yes, you are. Okay, you're giving up a part of yourself. Like a soldier who falls on the live grenade for his fellow troops, absorbing the impact of the blast so they don't have to. We absorb what's been done to us. We fold ourselves over the wrong and we cover the hurt. Okay? Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Luke 17, verse 1. Luke 17, verse number 1. Look what he said. Jesus said to the disciples. Now, who's talking? Jesus. Who's he talking to? Disciples. He's talking to his followers. The word disciple means a committed follower. So who's he talking to? Committed followers. And notice what he says. It's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Now, what is he saying to his committed followers? You love me, here's what he's saying. You love me, you're following me, you're obeying me, you know my word, you've been used in the gifts of the Spirit, I have poured my blessings out upon you, you've seen things and heard things from me that no other person's ever heard. We have a close relationship more than anybody else because you're, admit, you're a committed follower, but it doesn't make any difference how close you are to me. You can't live life without people doing you wrong. I hear this all the time. Well, ever since I've met Jesus, I've just run into people that do me wrong all the time. Well, Jesus said it's impossible. Who did he say it to? His disciples. He didn't say it to the backsliders. He didn't say it to the lost. He didn't say it to the people that were uh, on the fringe of Christianity. He said it to his committed followers. It's impossible to live life without offenses coming. It's just going to happen. And when relational conflict occurs, we have a choice. It's going to happen, and when it occurs, we have a choice. We can either walk in forgiveness, or we can walk in unforgiveness. The choice is ours, and with the decision we make, there are consequences. Okay? Number one, if we choose to walk in forgiveness, and really that means, what do you mean walk in forgiveness? Choosing to release the offender from the injury against us. Choosing to release the offender 
from the injury against us. If we choose to walk in forgiveness and release them for what they did to us, the peace of God will fill us. If we choose to walk in unforgiveness, and what is unforgiveness? It's seeking revenge or holding an offense against our offender. Okay? If we choose to walk in that, listen, we grieve the Holy Spirit and open the door for bitterness in our hearts. Now, here's what's crazy. You've heard it before. People said this, having unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody else is like me drinking poison and thinking it's going to hurt them. It's not going to hurt them. It's hurting walking. And notice what, if we choose to walk in unforgiveness, well, I just can't forgive them. I don't care what you say, Pastor. I can't forgive them. Well, here's the result of that. Remember, you've got a decision to make. You can walk in it or not walk in it, but whatever decision you make has consequences. And if you choose to walk in forgiveness, though it's not easy, and though it's not, uh, it, it can be difficult at times, if you choose to walk in it, the peace of God will fill you. But if you choose not to walk in forgiveness, and you choose unforgiveness as the path, notice what will happen. You grieve the Holy Spirit and open the door for bitterness to flood your heart. Now, let me talk about this for a second. Um, The consequences of harboring unforgiveness. The consequences of... Notice what he says, you grieve the Holy Spirit. You grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the scripture for that. Turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. Now, now, now understand, people do us wrong. I'm going to tell you, it's tough. I, I've had some people in my past that have... that I've, And here's what's tough, is the people you've done the most for. And they do you wrong. Now, those one, that's tough to forgive those people. You know, I'll, I'll forgive them after I'll whoop them. I'd like to just whoop them first and I can forgive them second, you know. But you can't do that. Look what it says, verse 30, Ephesians chapter 4. Who's he writing to? Paul's writing to Christians at Ephesus. Do not grieve. The word grieve there is unique. It comes from the Greek word lupe, lupe, which means to devastate. It means to shock. It means to bring heartache. And it's literally, it's, listen to it, it's literally the word grieve comes from the uh, Koine Greek word about a relationship between a husband and a wife and one of the spouse, one of the partners has been unfaithful to the other. Has been unfaithful to the other. And, and, and the word that, that's what the word is used for. That the, 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 the spouse who has been offended, the spouse who has been done wrong, the spouse who has been betrayed is shocked. They are devastated. They are broken. It's a heartbreak. So listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying here, do not break the heart. 
do not devastate this relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the precious Holy Spirit is so in love with you? He is in love with you. He watched over you last night when you were helpless, alone, asleep. He's watched over you all day. He's tried to care for you all day. He's, he's brought some things to your remembrance all day. He's the one before you even knew Christ that was wooing you to Christ. He was, he was, he was trying to get you. He was flirting with you. He was getting your attention to look toward Christ Jesus. Before you accept, ever accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, people would, would, would come by and, and try to witness to you. People would invite you to church, or, 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 or grandmother, or parent would, would, would remind you, or a Sunday school teacher, before you ever accepted Christ, would, would tell you about Jesus. That was the Holy Spirit working through them to woo you to Jesus Christ. And when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, He came to live inside of you and make His abode with you. He fell in love with you and has been one with you. And the Bible says here that when we do not forgive, we bring devastation to that relationship. We bring heartbreak to that relationship. Listen. When I learned this years ago, I decided I have to forgive people. Not because I like the people who did me wrong, but I don't want to hinder my relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's never done me wrong. He's never misused me or abused me. And I don't want to do anything that's going to bring a devastating blow to our relationship. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath... Now remember, how does bitterness get in? When we walk in unforgiveness. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking, all of those have to do with unforgiveness. All of those. Wrath, anger, evil speaking, talking about them, telling everybody what they did to them, trying to destroy their reputation because of how they hurt you and injured you and telling people about it. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice or revenge. See, it's talking about unforgiveness. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, when we won't forgive, when we choose to walk in unforgiveness, see, when people do us wrong, we got a choice. We can forgive them or not forgive them. If we forgive them, peace will flood us. If we don't forgive them, we injure the wonderful relationship we have with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, I need the Holy Spirit every day of my life. I need my companion, I need my friend, I need my guide, I need my helpmate, I need the one who knows the end from the beginning, I need the power source from the Heavenly Father, I need Him every day. So nobody doing me wrong can be able to, I refuse to let them, what they did to me, separate me from Him. Okay? See? You might be having a hard time forgiving them. 
But you got to forgive them if you want to have that good relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Grieve not the Spirit of God. So when we harbor unforgiveness in our heart, we literally have injured our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And here's the sad thing. Here's the sad thing. Um, We are left alone to navigate the hurt by ourselves. See, remember, he's the helper. But if we grieve him, if we devastate him, if we injure him because of our unwillingness to forgive somebody else, then he has to withdraw to some degree. And we have to navigate the hurt alone. But if we'll walk in forgiveness, he will walk with us and bring us comfort and help to be able to do what we think is so impossible to do. Did I just say I was going to close? I'm going to close with this. The proof, the proof of total forgiveness. I think it's the last screen up there, bud. The proof of total forgiveness. How do you know you've really forgiven someone? The proof of total forgiveness takes place when we sincerely petition the Father to let those who have hurt us off the hook. Even if they have hurt not only us, but also those close to us. Uh, there have been some people that I've encountered over the years that I've helped and they've turned around and stabbed me in the back or stolen from me or falsely accused me. And you know, I'll be honest with you, I've forgiven them But in the back of my mind, I knew karma. (laughs) You're going to reap what you sow, sucker. I forgive you today, but it's coming. And I'll laugh when I see it. Right? I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. I forgive them. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to forgive them. I forgive them. But I tell you what, when karma hits them, when they reap what they've sowed, uh, I'll be the first to say, yep, 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 I told you that's going to happen. Yeah, boy, I told you that's what they get right there. God's taking care of me. I, I, yeah. Real total forgiveness happens when you petition the Father to let those who have hurt you off the hook. I don't. Father, I forgive them. Don't let them reap a harvest of, of bad harvest. They did me wrong. Somebody's going to steal from them one day. They stole from me. You reap what you sow. God's not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he reap. Don't let it happen to them. Not only you, but to those whom you love if they've done you wrong. That's real forgiveness. R.T. Kendall, who was pastor of the great Westminster Chapel in England, uh, had some people in his church rise up and uh, falsely accuse him of things which were later found out to be false. 
And uh, a minister came to him one day, a minister friend came to him and said, uh, was talking and Pastor Kendall just unloaded. He said, let me tell you what these people did. Let me tell you what these people did. And he told them, told the minister everything the people did. And he said, instead of the minister who was his friend putting his hand on his shoulder and says, I understand, you have a right to feel hurt. You have a right to feel bad. Yeah, I understand that. They did you wrong. Instead of the minister doing that, he just looked at Brother Pastor Kendall and he said, well, you know what? He, Pastor Kendall said, what? He said, you've got to forgive them. And he said, it bothered me for two or three days that my friend was so insensitive to my pain and so insensitive to my hurt and the ordeal that I, my family had gone through. And he said, after a couple of days, he said, I was driving down the road and I knew I had to forgive them. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive them. And he said immediately, the Lord spoke to me and said, you know what you're asking me to do? And Pastor Kendall said, Lord, I, I think I do. And he said, the Lord said, you're asking me to let them off the hook. Are you willing for me to forgive them and let them off the hook and they never have to pay the price for what they did to you? And Brother Kendall said, I paused and said, yeah, Lord, I think I can do that. And he said, then the Lord said to me, are you willing to pray that I'll prosper them and bless them instead of punishing them? He said, I had to pause. I'd have probably said, I'll get back with you tomorrow. <laughs> and he said, the Lord, he said, yeah, Lord. And he said, the Lord then said this to him. Because you have asked me to bless them instead of curse them. I'm going to bless you bubble, double. You know, he kind of did that to Solomon. When Solomon was praying, uh, he said, you didn't ask for things, you asked for wisdom, so I'm going to give you the things also. See, Forgiveness. Every one of us is going to be injured. Every one of us is going to be hurt. We can't live life without somebody doing us wrong. I don't care how close you are to the Lord. And when it happens, you've got a choice. We can either walk in forgiveness and let the peace of God fill us, or we can walk in unforgiveness and grieve, injure our relationship with the Holy Spirit and open the door for bitterness in our heart. It's not easy, but we don't have an option if we only enjoy the goodness of God. Stand with me, would you?